1: Welcome to Roller the Roots Podcast. My name is Raj Baines and joining me this week is Jack Hussey, sat in an office somewhere in central London. How are you, Jack? I'm alright,
2: thank you, Raj Baines. This is a bit weird. It's a bit weird having to show me the other foot, but I quite like it in a way.
1: Well, yeah, it's purely because you're sat at work without your microphone or thing. So it's just a practical thing. It's not, you know, we're not having a power struggle or anything like that. It's not. A...
2: It's for the, for the for the slow phasing of me out. Stage one, get a seven. So uh, stage two, <laughs> start start leading the show. Stage, stage three. three,
1: yeah. Uh, Seb, what did you think of Saint Helen's sixteen lead runners? What's <laughs> 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 no, uh, Sebastian Stafford, You are here with us.
0: I missed it to be honest, mate. I. I um I uh I looked it up later and I just thought, firstly I, I was uh, I have Luke Walsh in my fancy team, and uh, I thought, okay I'm gonna get some points from him finally like nine weeks into the season, and I looked it up and uh, no not so much so. Maybe that's a, a segment we can look forward to at the end of
1: this. He was actually fantastic, Luke Walsh. Um, he came on in the second half purely out of desperation yeah. for...
0: Not in a fancy points kind of play, was <laughs> yeah,
1: But he, he did set up a couple of tries and he, he was... um their half-back pairings. They've just not had any for a couple of years purely because yeah. they've had injuries and him and Burns in the half-back should do fantastically. But um, we'll we'll save that for the end anyway uh, if, if Jackal allow us. But we, first we've got to talk about Newcastle first. Um... For my opinion, at least, the best part about having to host the show is I don't really have to talk too much him, about him the game and things. I get, we get to hear Jack's opinion properly. Um,
2: oh Jesus Christ! You don't want that, mate. No one wants <laughs> to that. <laughs> quickly loads up whoscored. dot
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't don't bring that up, uh, Seb. will be telling us how difficult it is to copy and paste the uh, the running order again. But um, <laughs>
0: it's not copy and paste; it's screenshot. It's much harder.
1: Yeah. Um, from from my opinion, at least, it was it was a bit of a non-event. It, it had a very end-of-season feel about it. It was nice to win a game after losing a couple and a couple of disappointing performances. Bentaleb was good. Kane was exceptional. Um, you know that was nice to see. Vertonghen and Fazio seemed to have you know picked up from where they left off defensively. But on the flip side of that, Newcastle offered absolutely nothing apart from the one occasion where they scored there. And now seemingly every time we play them they have to score directly after half time or it's not a proper football match um but you know apart from that they didn't offer anything whatsoever uh, it was it was a bit like you know beating an unarmed man it was it was very one sided it was very easy and it didn't feel like a great accomplishment beating them to be honest um not as not as big an accomplishment as it may have been in the past but jack if we start with you what did you think about it
2: I think one of the main things I want to call out is how disappointing I found it that we weren't prepared for them coming at us straight from the kickoff at the start of the second half. It seemed absolutely bizarre that we just seemed so surprised by it again. Because it's not just—I'm uh, not just reducing it to the level of saying, "Well, they did it to us last time, so we got to expect it again." But I believe they've done it to several teams throughout the course of the season. Um, how they have these kind of high tempo. We've seen like Pardew drilling them on those kind of like getting them ready for those like short sprints and things. He does that little exercise, doesn't he? Those ladder runs at half time to get the players kind of like really essentially geared up and ready to go for it from the off. Um, so that was disappointing.
1: You compared you know? it to the charges of light light brigade on Twitter, didn't you? Which I thought was very good.
2: I, I, I call it a bugle charge. Yeah, that was uh, that was. Uh, <laughs> But I found that yeah, I, I I did find that quite bizarre. But I, I can't really disagree much of what you've said there, Roger. I think another thing to look at uh, Spurs' side of things is um, I thought the decision to start Dyer um, as a right back again was was pretty strange. I think like if they if they you know if they if Pochettino was hoping to give Fazio another little run in the team, whatever you know, it's coming towards the end of the season. You want to exercise a few different squad options. Um, I can understand that, but to me it would make more sense then to put Yedlin at right-back. Because if we're trying to kind of groom another right-back, um, we've already kind of seen that Dyer isn't really that effective there, that he doesn't really have the kind of like the physical attributes that you'd expect from a from a right-winger playing in the sort of system that we look to employ. Uh, um, so why why wouldn't we have given Yedlin a little kind of run out from the start? Um I think that that's one thing I found quite bizarre. I don't know how you guys felt about that.
1: No, I completely agree with you. I think Newcastle were probably the ideal opponent to try that again as well, given that they had nothing coming forward. Um, so it would almost be a, a win-win situation playing Yedlin. It's slightly concerning. We, we make these jokes about him being there to sell shirts, yeah. um, but it's slightly, slightly concerning that the one time that we've seen him play has been out of sheer desperation against Aston Villa because we haven't really had an idea of how to get back into the game. So we've just thrown him on. In a sort of it's, it's unfair to him that his one appearance in the first team is surely out of desperation. <laughs> We've sort of looked at the bench and gone, you're quick, you might help. <laughs> but what did you make of it, Seb? Would you you have started Yedlin? Would, were you pleased with the way in which we performed otherwise?
0: I wouldn't have started him. I, I kind of, I wanted him to start just out of curiosity. And um, I thought, given that I'd heard Kirikas has been, had been left at home, which had a kind of menacing tone to it, um, I thought we might see him from the start. I don't... Um, like Jack, I don't really see the value of Dyer at fullback because we spent most of the season trying to kind of acclimatise him to, to a more central role, then to revert him back when okay, he's an untried and untested and unproven you know, right back. But there was a right back on the bench you could have played. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, you can make the argument for, for not wanting to expose him to anything, and, and Newcastle aren't you know in any way potent going forward. No, but you know. A bad experience at this point in his career. I don't know. It probably would have done more harm than good. But we were okay. I mean, it, I suppose it was. You know those those, um, those nature programs on TV where you see like a a cheetah pick off a a deer in the herd and sort of maul yeah. it a little bit. Well, we weren't. We weren't kind of. We weren't the cheetah clearly, but we we're sort of like a, a a plodding zebra that had come across a carcass on its way home. <laughs> and had a few bites out of it for the sake of it. I mean it was it there was nothing ruthless about it. It was just a sort of we're clearly in end of season mode. But I, I I don't really I don't agree with a lot of the negativity I've seen because I thought it you know, in patches we played quite well. We didn't have that much pace about us, but I thought the pressing came back here and there and it was quite nice to see that. I thought Polino played very well, which was shocking. Um and ben Club did play well. You guys have mentioned that. But I thought it was, you know, we, we got it done. Um, and in difficult circumstances with it, with a sort of a strange atmosphere at St. James's Park because of the protests and the boycott um, and the empty seats. But, uh, you know, score some goals, win a game. How bad can it really be?
1: Jack, I'm going to ask you about the, the protests. But while I'm doing so, um, Seb, if you think about trying to analyse exactly how and why Polino was made man of the match and his performance in that. Because although, okay. although the man of the match just seemed slightly ridiculous, it is one of his better performances for us. But Jack, what did you make of... Do you, do you think the... After we spoke to Taylor last week, after we've, we obviously take a, a passing interest in all of Premier League football, so we know of the situation in Newcastle from a, a sort of a macro perspective from the outside. Um, what did you make of the the protest do you think it worked do you think there was a difference clearly in the attendance I think that the council came out today and said there were 17,000 people who had chosen not to go Um, although the Newcastle official statistics beg to differ with that but you you never know how much the attendance figures are, are propaganda or not but do you think that was an effective form of protest was that if there was ever an issue at Tottenham do you think that's the way in which we should react
2: i think it's it's just, the point 's always been made hasn 't it that if you really want to hit kind of owners and well yeah, if you want to hit owners where it hurts you 've got to do it in the pocket because that 's ultimately why they 're involved with your club you know you 're not going to be pissed off with an owner if your owner 's gotten involved in the club because he loves them um, generally speaking anyway, and I think that <laughs> As much as the, uh, I think I think it was Taylor or Bestie, or it might have been both of them from their joint account, um, <laughs> we're saying during the week, we're seeing quite a few people who are saying they're attending boycott Spurs but also trying to sell their ticket. So I think there's probably a bit of, you know, people need to kind of have a clear manifesto and a clear alignment as to what it is that they're trying to achieve from this because I think these kind of things as a one-off type event, um people can get kind of swept up in it and it's all quite exciting yeah let's just boycott because everyone's doing it and the chairman's a wanker we don't really know why he's a wanker we just kind of think he is because my mate's saying he is and we're going to hold up these banners and we'll probably get on sky sports and it'll be a good laugh yeah i'm not saying that's the whole movement but it's now that they've kind of they've, they've drawn that line in the sand you know they've managed to get what whatever it was You said it was was it 17,000 people yeah, Instead something of, like so, seventeen thousand was
1: yeah. the uh, was the figure that the council provided.
2: Yeah, I mean for for the for the for the first match of a boycott, you know, that's it's a pretty exceptional turnout. Uh, um, but for for a movement like that to actually make a difference, it's something that needs to be sustained. Now you need to start looking at people not renewing season tickets to people to be consistently boycotting games, to be boycotting buying replica shirts, to be, you know, all types of merchandise. It has to be something that's done across the board where it actually makes the the chairman start to, to, to buck his ideas up and do something different. And again, this isn't a critique of the Newcastle fans. I think what they're doing is a massively positive step, um, but it's, you know, with there being so much outside money involved in football now, 17,000 people on a match day, although a, a statement doesn't have a massive tangible effect on the club if it happens as a one-off thing. No, it doesn't really. And that's kind of the frustrating the frustrating situation I think a lot of supporters find themselves in now and why a lot of people will just not even bother with a boycott. They'll kind of see it as, you know, what's the point because it's not we're going to make a difference anyway um as a poetic statement yeah it's great and I think it's it's good that people still want to stand up and have their voices be heard but if it's going to bring about a change if it's going to bring Ashley to the ground it's it's probably not is it unless they you know they continue and they continue to spread the message amongst the supporters um you know because what, what he is doing to the club it is is disgraceful and you guys covered it last week with Taylor um at great depth, and I think it's it's something that a lot of people have spoken about doing at Spurs in the past, and I don't think we've ever really, as much as this, we've come close. I think when the Stratford stuff happens, that's probably the most mobile I've seen large sections of Tottenham support. Um, so I'm not, yeah, I'm I'm just. I don't know. I'm pretty jaded about football as an industry, to be honest, because it's you know there's there's almost a little part of me that feels like a lot of clubs could probably survive without having anyone in attendance at the ground on a match day, or at least you know a very small percentage of the ground on a match day. But then you you start to play into the idea of you know how much of a difference does support have you know the supporters helping the players on the pitch to perform better and so on and so forth. So. In short, I have no concise or clear opinion
1: on the matter. <laughs> well, I think the, the point you do make is the Premier League sells itself, doesn't it, on the fact that we've got full grounds and we've got this unrivalled English passion for the game. And if if foreign audiences or even audiences of this country are, are starting to tune into games where there is no crowd there whatsoever, it, it detracts from the package that is being sold. And perhaps it will take away from the the prices that they're able to sell the rights for. So, it will it will have a trickle down effect at some point. But um, if you are that, Jared Jack, you could you could always come and join us at Huddersfield Town next season and and try my experiment of Championship football with me. But um,
2: mate, I, lo- I I love the sound of that. I, t- I told you about my Brentford dalliance, didn't I? Uh, how I was gonna because oh, yeah. Brentford are just kind of down the road from me. Um, and I, I, I had a feeling a couple of years back, um, the fact they got into the championship and like their season ticket price doubled uh, kind of put me off. But more so was the fact that the one Brentford fan I did know, who was a friend of my girlfriend, um, then professed his love and told her to leave me. So instantly now I want the club to fall. <laughs> there's, no, there's no two ways about it. That's
1: it, um, Seb. You've had you've had you've had ample time now, Seb, to uh, to come up with <laughs> reasons why Polinio was fantastic this weekend. So I'm expecting TED Talk levels of uh, of analysis here when I ask you about this. Oh,
0: uh, okay, all right. Well, I, first of all, I don't really disagree with it as much as everybody else does. I I thought that okay, this is all about context, really. I think with Polinio in that. This was his his performance compared with other recent performances. I thought he he did a lot of things really well. His ball retrieval was excellent. Um, He, in a general sense, he he just had a lot more. He just looked more at ease in a Tottenham shirt than he has done for a really long time. And it was the kind of performance which he inevitably wouldn't have given at White Hart Lane. I think that I don't know. This is a guess, but I, I think when a player struggles like that, and when he clearly must be aware that a significant amount of the fan base is not hugely in favour of seeing his name on the team sheet. I think it benefits that player to play away from home um, and to play in an environment where, you know, the knives don't come out with every misplaced pass and and he doesn't hear the groan. That's a bad decision. But I thought he did a lot of things really well. He... His distribution was good. His There was one moment in the first half where he sprayed a lovely crossfield ball out to Danny Rose, who I think then just sliced his cross into the stand. But a nice sort of, a, just a bit of ambition on the ball because I, I've always said this and, and I've looked progressively more ridiculous every time I have, but I think there is a player there. I don't know whether he'll ever be that player for Tottenham or whether he's really suited to playing in England. I'm, I'm not sure, but he showed signs of, Maybe not being a twenty million pound footballer, but at least being a ten million pound player and and doing a lot of the things that Pochettino wants from from that one of those deep line midfield as well. Uh, his pressing was excellent. Um, we've mentioned his defending and he was um, he was involved in the build up to Charlie's goal. I'm not sure you should really get an assist for passing the ball to a player and, and then watching him put it in from twenty five yards. Not sure that should really count, but he did do that. Um, and I, I thought he was good. I, I, I think, I think the man of the match thing. I, I don't think it's necessarily about Polinio, but yeah, beyond maybe Bentaleb, um Kane played quite well. I mean, Chadley was all right in a sort of score a goal, but then make a horrendous defensive mistake to allow the opposition to score. Sort of way. Um, I don't see the other candidates really. Eriksson was good, I suppose, in a knackered jaded, needs the beach sort of way as well. So I, I, I,
1: I,
2: I thought he, I, I,
0: I, thought, I think you can make a genuine case for it rather than just a contrived you know, wanting him to do well case for him. that I thought he was good.
1: I'm not sure that was quite as, you know, as, as exploratory as perhaps Malcolm Gladwell does when he gives his TED Talks, but I'll give you a passing grade <laughs> for that. I
0: think you're doing I think you're doing me a massive disservice there. Actually,
1: actually. Oh, you, you should listen, if, you, if you're going to listen to one TED Talk, the the Malcolm Gladwell one where he talks about David versus Goliath um is hilarious. If only to scroll down the YouTube comments and have a look at how many Christians are going mm-hmm. mental at the fact that he's giving a historical view of this event that nobody really knows whether or not it happened or not. And trying to <laughs> apply modern logic to it. But um Talking of applying logic to things, um, we play Southampton this weekend. Um, Before we speak about it amongst ourselves, I spoke to, earlier this morning, uh, a ridiculous time in the morning, not one I'm used to getting up with, but I I spoke to Alex Stewart, a a Southampton fan, about that upcoming game and Pochettino and all that sort of business. So uh, strap in and and get ready for more of me (laughs) presenting this. Alex Stewart, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm I'm fine. I don't know why we're pretending as if we haven't just recorded an entirely different podcast <laughs> together. Um, as if this is remind me, it's, which
3: one is this that we're currently? Doing? <laughs> yeah, I, I genuinely have no this idea. This is man.
1: currently Rule the Ruse podcast. This is your first appearance on this one, rather than the uh, u Max It podcast. We've just oh, we've just put in the can. Um, this is a much more laid back and and. Uh, and, and less serious commitment you you're allowed to swear you're allowed to, to to say and do as you want you can essentially given the conversation we've just had you can you can be your own Gigi Bacali should you wish <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh Christ no
1: yeah. <laughs> but we we will be talking about Southampton your club and and, and Tottenham and Pochettino and and what have you? Um, because we are playing next week. But um, first of all, given sort of the way in which your your season's petering out, much as ours is, um, I'm currently of the opinion that sort of our our season's done. Really, we're, we're just. You know the media call it being on the beach, don't they? Whereas I just think they're, they're, they've mentally prepared themselves for the fact that they're going to be playing various international tours for the next few months, and, and really can't be asked to train for the next few weeks too much because um, what's the point when you're going to be playing and pimped out relentlessly regardless? Um, is is that is that cynical feeling shared at wonderful St Mary's, or is that just something for us Tottenham fans to enjoy? Oh no i i
3: I think um I think we still feel like we're in a, with a shout for um European football. Probably, I think it's fair to say the Champions League has escaped us, and and Southampton have really gone um, highs and lows this season. You know, we began it with everybody saying you're going to get relegated, you're you're fucked, that you've lost all your good players, um, you're going to go back down to the champion. And shep and vanish without a trace, and and some people seemed kind of amused by that, which which narked me slightly. And then of course we've we've uh, built on a really awesomely solid defensive unit, and particularly Wanyama and Schneiderlin in front of them, and and done enormously well. And then all of a sudden it's fireworks and it's champagne corks and it's you know Southampton for the league, Southampton for the Champions League, and and all that kind of stuff. So we've been a little bit put through the ringer. Um, so actually I could kind of understand why the players would be would be switching off a little bit, maybe just out of mental exhaustion, uh, as much as anything. But, you know, the beating Liverpool is still um very much a, a genuine prospect, um, as we were talking about in the the previous podcast. You know, they <laughs> Liverpool look shagged and confused and uh, coming off the back of that loss to to Villa in the semi final, I think I think they could have a real tailspin, um, and so we should. Yeah, hopefully we'll keep focused and we won't quite go to the beach yet.
1: I uh, I must um, apologise because given that we have just spoken to each other, I forgot to give you a, a proper introduction. I did say your name, but if you want to to sort of uh, pimp yourself out and uh, and tell everyone what you do, I imagine most people will know you from. Your recent blistering success on the set pieces with your uh, your money ball series, which I, th- I think I'm not sure there's anyone in the nation who isn't gripped by the success of <laughs> Bristol City and 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 how you are transforming them from from your bedroom in your underpants. But what is your your yeah. other work and your other commitments and things like that? Um.
3: I yeah so I've been doing that stuff for the set pieces um I I appear um most weeks on the illustrated game podcast with uh, Joe Devine, where we have a similarly I suppose um light-hearted approach to discussing football and and class struggle and various other things um and I've got my own site um which is put com, where I write about various things um and I've done stuff for the Football Pink, eight by eight, just just bits and pieces here and there. To be honest, I mean, I kind of, I, I'm I'm quite relaxed about about who I write for, and and um, I enjoy just basically having the opportunity to to put my opinions down and then discuss them with people. Um, obviously, I'm a columnist and and do social media stuff for Umaxit as well, um, which has been fun and and this kinda of how we got to know one another. Um so yeah, and then outside of football I also write about um coffee and do book reviews and um and some kind of uh yeah boring corporate y type stuff. So um that's how I pay the bills.
1: What's the story behind your, your blog name? Because it's quite obscure and quite a niche reference, isn't it?
3: It yes it is. Um so Niels Bohr um, BOHR, was was a, a physicist um, from Denmark uh, who achieved, I guess, particular fame in the kind of 20s, 30s and 40s for, for his work on particle physics. And I'm sure we're all aware he, of that,
1: Alex. You don't need to, to, yeah, to, you, obviously. to clue me my, up on my, that. Yeah.
3: Um,
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and um, the University of Copenhagen had a... A team that started off as its its university amateur team, um, Academps Bolt Club, which then became a first a semi-professional and now a professional uh, club in its own right. And, and Niels Bohr played in golf for them and, and his brother played for the, the Danish national side and was quite a successful right back. I think he won bronze or silver in the Olympics um in the twenties. And and so it was just a kind of reference really to the fact that goalkeepers are are often quite curious characters. I, I used to play in goal myself and and also to to kind of show the fact that that what I like to look at in football is not necessarily the kind of straightforward you know this game happened, and these people did these things, and that's why they won. Um, because I think there are lots of people who do that really, really well. I like to look at, at how football's represented in in books or in artwork or or cinema or gaming or that kind of stuff. So where, where football kind of overlaps with something else is what I'm I'm interested in, and I think that the blog title was something that just occurred to me as a as a way of of kind of getting that across, I suppose.
1: Obviously, you're not somebody like me who does deeply analytical pieces about how perhaps a manager may well have some sort of philosophical outliers with a a pop star or anything like that. That would be something that was a bit too hard-brow for you, I imagine. uh...
3: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no, I no, I I did a piece on on comparing Southampton to Ryan Atwood from the OC that I was particularly pleased with. So, I think um, yeah, I, I think it's about make the, you know, as far as I'm concerned, there is so much football writing out there, and some of it's terrible, and uh, some most of, it's of really... it is
1: terrible. If we're being completely yeah, okay.
3: honest. most no no no, I I actually I'd agree with that in fairness, most of it is terrible, um, and and I think the the thing for me is I I looked at. Um, whether it's people like uh, Michael Cox or it's Sam, our very own Sam Tai, you know that there are people that do very, very good comprehensive tactical analysis, and and that was not something that I knew enough about, and it 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 was something that other people were really doing very well already, and and so that sense of trying to inject a bit of a bit of fun and a bit of difference, whether it's by looking at how someone like Albert Camus or, or wrote about being a goalkeeper in their literature or it's dropping in kind of pop culture references and comparing a football team to a character from the OC. I I think that's, for me, that's a way of making it interesting and and of trying to kind of lighten it a little bit but also say, you know, I'm doing something slightly different here and if you like it, then that's great and if you don't, then um, I'm not going to talk to you ever again.
1: We will get on to to football, I'm sure, but I I never got into the OC. I I was... To be honest, my, my poison on on E4 was always One Tree Hill because I enjoyed the basketball element of it because it was something to to hide behind when really all I cared about was the love stories. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I am. Um,
3: yeah, no, I, I I was I was introduced to the OC um, and uh, and I kind of. I was told that I would hate it. And I say this given that I started watching it maybe about six months ago and I, I am 33. So, <laughs> you know, the, it, it was not, the omens were not necessarily good. Um, but uh, I kind of got a little bit gripped by it, I have to be honest. And I think um, sometimes, I suppose when it came out, I was probably in my maybe in my late teens and and concentrating mostly on on getting drunk really um and not doing a great deal else so i didn't really notice any of that stuff so it was kind of there was an aspect to which i was maybe revisiting um something of cultural significance from my otherwise slightly misspent youth um and also misha barton really
1: she now owns a uh she now owns a shop in London, and she's selling handbags or something like that. She's completely th- fallen off the the acting radar. I believe she just yeah. of own, owns her own little boutique or something like that.
3: I think it's something like she she basically. I think there were sadly a, a number of parallels between um, her and her character, um, including various issues, um, and uh, and I think she kind of stepped away from acting as a way of, of getting her shit together, um, and credit to her for that. I, I don't think really anybody in the OC has gone on to enormous success elsewhere, but then I guess you, you don't necessarily have to.
1: That, uh, the main blonde lad, he's in Gotham now, playing a, a younger version of... Um, oh, fucking, uh, what's he called? Um, Inspector Gordon. It's not Inspector Gordon. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. detective no, it's, in... Um, uh, Commissioner yeah, Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, yeah. um,
3: and actually, his, his older brother, um, the guy who plays Trey, his older brother cropped up weirdly in something like... I think it was Prometheus, actually. He was one of the, the sort of the exploratory crew in Prometheus. as it's weird how people just suddenly appear, but like Seth and Summer, and I mean, are they? I clearly... like how
1: you refer to them as if you, they're your friend now, Seth and Summer. Well, no,
3: it's it's actually because I don't know who what the actors' names are.
1: Um, I, I it's, yeah, I, 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 wouldn't I wouldn't be able to to help on that front. Although I do remember uh, in the uh, in the passing interest I took in the OC at the time, the girl who did play Summer is is very much up my street. If if you were.
3: Yeah, I think I think the world divides in, into to groups, and and you're either you're either Summer or you're whatever Misha Barton, Marissa, um, and you're also either Seth's mum uh, or you're uh, Marissa's mom.
1: Seth's mum. <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a dodgy pawn name, does that? It's no, there, there was a. There was a song, wasn't there, from
3: that mum. mum. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's that sort of vibe, isn't it? But yeah, um, I, I think people can, can quite easily divide themselves into into one of those categories. Um, I'm definitely uh, Marissa and Seth's mum.
1: <laughs> it's good to know. But, but my back there. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think that that's what they're going to put on your, your epitaph, wasn't it? <laughs> Alex Stewart, he was definitely Marissa and Seth's mum. Yeah, um, I think that'll be quite a good in joke um, for anyone that ever walks past it and was a fan of the OC. <laughs> um, it's almost it has parallels to the argument we often have about uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Emma Stone, but that's that's not something uh, we should dig up now because I think that's something we 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 might start wars over
3: that's that's irreconcilable differences I'm yeah afraid. the, the grounds
1: for divorce isn't it but if if we do try and speak about football um pochettino something we have in common um you had him we stole him um much yes. like glenn Hoddle, um uh, much like gareth bale um much like that song about marching in as well we, we've we've had that one sort of made it our own as well <laughs> um, but um well, what was he like for you are you sort of surprised that he's had as much success uh, with us or is sort of the trajectory of our season doing really well um when the squad was perhaps at its peak fitness um rather than right at the start and then tailing off a little bit towards the end is that something you've you saw similarly at southampton are you were you disappointed to have lost him when you did Um, if you sort of sum up his his time at your club and 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 what you've made of him since if you could
3: so he arrived at us back in um 2013 and he was a bit of a not not a non-entity but I think you had to know quite a lot about Spanish football really to have much of an idea um uh, of what he was about. And I remember kind of frantically going to the the, the Sid Lowe um, podcast on Spanish football and trying to think, who, who the fuck is this guy who's, who's come in? And, and a lot of what was talked about at the time was the the uh, emphasis on youth development. Obviously, for a club like Southampton, that's of critical importance, both in terms of, of replenishing the first-team squad when our players get um, filched by people like yourselves, but also... In terms of successfully running the club as a business, um, and and our business model is to develop and and sell and reinvest. Um, and I mean, we we had a period of of instability, obviously, which which was you know both financial instability, managerial instability, and then all the behind the scenes kerfuffle as well. Um, and I think Pochettino really. I mean, Ad- Adkins, who was was before him, certainly made a, a start on it, but Pochettino was really the beginning, I think, of the kind of new Southampton um, and instilling this four two three one style, um, pressing high, um, playing quite attacking football, um, and and continuing that strong Southampton tradition of, of bringing in youth players uh he he was exactly what we needed um and I think Kerman has come in and and found a a system and a style of play in place that he actually come already quite likes I mean obviously he has made some some adjustments and and stuff like that sort of taken the the, the pressure slightly back off it and, and made us slightly less attacking but um I wasn't at all surprised when uh, a, quote-unquote, bigger club, although I think I might contest that by the end of the season, uh, <laughs> don't be came in for that, him. Uh. <laughs> yeah. um, and, uh, no, I think that's fair.
1: Um, <laughs> I, I, well, I'm no, going to no, get into Emma Stone territory here if you try and con- take no, that away from us <laughs> after the season we, we've yeah, got no, to have.
3: No, no, you, 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 you are a bigger club. I don't think we can argue with that. But, um, no, I, I think he was... I think he was a really good fit for Tottenham. Um, and and I think, certainly as far as I was concerned, and I'm, I'm not one of these angry, relentlessly partisan football fans who you know will hate people as soon as they leave us and all that kind of stuff. I just don't see the point in expending my energy on it, to be honest. But,
1: it's funny um, you say that because uh, not yourself, but other um, Southampton fans... I got the impression from earlier this season uh, th- th- you you were quite a, a nice club and a nice fan base in um, mm. a, a quite you know quite timid part of the country if I may say so. I've not spent much time there, but that's the impression I get from the South Coast. It's it's sort of where I imagine you know white collar people go to die, um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's my impression from Yorkshire. Um, but you know um, it, they they seem to get very bitter. Um, not just towards Tottenham, because I think there was already that in place. Given you know your previous chairman of of called us yobbos and and what not previously. That I don't think there's the greatest relationship between the two clubs. Um, but with the the negative aspect of people saying you'd go down and and you know people laughing at the fact that your manager had left you and all your your big players per se had gone. Um, and there was a lot of bitterness towards the world and because you you'd started to do quite well there was a lot of overconfidence and a lot of, uh, a lot of cockiness in the face of the early positivity that had happened um was that something you picked up on or is that something that only people from from outside of your club can accuse you of um
3: i think i think southampton generally is a nice club um, I think that's a fair thing to say and, and that, that maybe there is actually sometimes a, a lack of edge both to the way we play and, and I think sometimes the way we conduct ourselves in terms of, of transfers and stuff like that, that that we can be a little bit soft. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, my attitude is that, that people have got contracts, but if a club comes in and buys you out of that contract, then... I like, you know, if, if I worked for one bank and another bank offered me more money and I went to the other bank, I, I wouldn't really expect everyone that I used to work with and everyone who was an account holder in that bank to hate me for the rest of my life. It would just be bizarre. Um. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live.
2: Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
3: And I don't understand that thing with football, where people get so um, absolutely fixated about... I mean, yeah, okay, particular rivalries and stuff like that. But but when, you know, when a, a manager leaves... A lot of that, you know, it, it was kind of a, a, an unholy mess of players saying, "Well, if if Pochettino leaves, then we don't want to be here," and Pochettino saying, "Well, if you're going to sell those players, then I don't want to be here." And, and I think, I think the situation could have been resolved if if the board had acted a lot more um, definitively a bit earlier. But you know. There was always the sense with that season with Pochettino that that once again I think and this is this is something we'll suffer from this season as well that Southampton had overreached and had surpassed expectations um, and that maybe were kind of glass ceilinged in that respect um, and so when an offer from a club that that does you know suit the way that he sets things up and and particularly when you know they had a couple of of Spanish players that were coming in or Spanish-speaking players that maybe not settled quite as well as they could have done and and that kind of stuff like it just seemed like a natural move and I I don't begrudge him that at all and the back of that is that we got Kerman in Um, and and I I actually prefer Kerman to be honest so you know I, I don't see it as a as a bad thing but yeah, I then I don't understand all the anger and stuff anyway. It's just not my scene.
1: With the game coming up, um, and it's at your place as well, um, is this one that, given that perhaps you have more to play for than we do, given that European football is a bit of a novelty for you, it's something... but. Perhaps you haven't witnessed before the perhaps the negative knock-on effects of the Europa League isn't something that's going to concern you all too well because you'd be much more invested in actually enjoying the competition rather than moaning about it as, as a portion of our fan base tends to do. Um, given that we've we've spent an awful lot of time um, in places in, in Europe I've never really heard of previously. And sort of things you only ever hear on sort of breaking war correspondence of, of places that have been, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you, you think their name has been made up, but no, we, we do end up being drawn against them in the Europa League. Um, but do you think that you you perhaps would have a bit more intensity, a bit more want in this one, especially having to <laughs> lost to Pochettino earlier on in the season? There is always that, that extra bit of bite about... Beating somebody who used to have an association with your club and and wanting to get a bit over, uh, one over on them. I mean, we've already experienced that with with Tim Sherwood coming back to White Hart Lane and winning, which genuinely was one of the worst points of the season, if not the worst, because we we've we've spoken at length about just how massive of a bell that man is. Um, mm. So, do you think Southampton perhaps in a mental state will be a bit more up for this game than uh, than Tottenham would be? Um
3: yeah, I, I think the answer to that is yes, but I don't think the answer to that necessarily is is because of Pochettino. Um I mean the 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 majority of the starting team are not gonna be players that had a great deal to do with him. Um and I include in that even Kelvin Davis, who was <laughs> sidelined by him rightly, um, for the majority of his time there and you know, I don't. I don't really see that. Um, I, I think we'll have more intensity, but that's because we're at home. We've had a couple of shit results recently, and we are looking to to leapfrog up into to fifth place. Which, if results go with us with a win, we we could do. So, I, I think I hope that the intensity comes from that and from a desire to win. In order to get league position and and arrest a bit of a slide rather than to to get one over on a guy who, let's be honest, did a great deal of good for the club and left largely because the board couldn't give him or wouldn't give him the assurances that he quite legitimately asked for. And, And I don't think there was anything underhand about the way that he conducted himself. He said unless you say that these things are going to happen and are not going to happen, then if I get an offer, I will consider it. And they didn't respond to that. And so he got an offer and he took it. You know, I don't, I don't really see what, what, what the problem is. It's also really difficult to dislike Pochettino. I mean, he's an extraordinarily affable man. You know, he's, he's smiley and he's friendly and he's, yeah. You know, I, I just, yeah. So I think we will win incidentally. Um, But I I think we'll win because we're G'd up for for good reasons rather than uh, slightly um, hateful ones. Yeah,
1: I think uh, I'd probably agree with the fact that you you probably will win this one just purely because... um... As I said previously, I don't think Tottenham are particularly in the best of mind frames at the moment, um, in a competitive sense. But but speaking about Spurs, um, if you remove the the Pochettino element, if we sort of look at the fact that we have this this core of young players, we've we've got a, a backbone to the side of of which we're we're quite confident about going into the future uh, with the likes of Larice and Bentaleb and Kane and and Mason and and. You know that that ilk of player and and that class of player um, and that age of player as well specifically um, is that something you're as a, as a football fan and a, as a writer rather than a Southampton fan is that something you're pleased to see is is that a, because it's it's somewhat similar to the the sort of. Model that you had that was so successful when you first came up. Given that so many of your players were were homegrown and were uh, were, were sort of bought into the cause very early on, um, is is it something that you're you're quite happy about from a distance, or is is it something mm. you don't really care much about?
3: No, um, no, I I do like to see it. Um, I I think there's there's nothing more interesting for me. From a sort of purely footballing perspective, than than seeing players break into first team squads and and develop and and learn, kind of while they're going along, um, and and you've seen that particularly with with players like Benteleb, you know, where he has had games where he's he's made mistakes and he's underperformed, but he has an enormous strength of character to go along with uh, an undoubted talent, and you can see him striving to improve and. Um, and i think that's i think that's fun i think it's it's exciting i mean you know yes it's also quite interesting when um you know somebody that you've never heard of gets brought in from i don't know the, the croatian league or something like that and suddenly there's this new player and 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 wow you you only seen them on youtube if you pretend to do that sort of thing like a lot of people do um but i think you know the the, the great joy in in football, for me, is uh, establishing dynasties is probably a kind of a slightly portentous way of putting it. But but seeing a team grow together from a, a, you know the sort of bus of ninety two style that that and I yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Manchester United, but you can't argue with the fact that that was a really engaging story. Um, and there are a, a one or two clubs, and I would include Tottenham and Southampton in this at the moment, who conceivably um, could have the foundations of probably not to achieve the same degree of success just because they don't have the money but but have the foundations to to grow teams the core of which could remain together for four or five seasons and and I think that is really really exciting
1: talking about exciting um how happy does as an as an Englishman as a proud Beating heart, full-blooded Englishman uh, of the UKIP voting Saint George flying variety. That you are. Um, how how excited and how happy does Harry Kane make you? Does he, you know, does he make you want to run into the streets and start singing Three Lions at the top of your voice?
3: Um, I I mean I have to fight those nationalist urges constantly um, because you know being from the timid south coast I. <laughs> That's what I like to do. I yeah, I, Kane is great. I mean, you got, there's no, there isn't really an easier way of saying it. He is a brilliant player who is only going to get better. Um, the fact that he will do some of that for England, I, I, I have to be honest, I'm not massively into international football uh, as a supporter. Um, I, I find watching international tournaments engaging, mostly in terms of. The opportunity it affords to to see players that I've not seen before, uh, or, or not seen with any great regularity, I I don't find watching England massively exciting, and I don't sit there with my heart in my mouth and and kick every ball, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, that you know, with with players like Kane coming into the the squad, that may change. I found it very difficult from the sort of golden generation onwards, really, to find any players that I feel like I have any sort of connection with. I don't mean in the sense that we're mates or anything like that, but just I, I don't look at, you know, I don't, <laughs> obviously, you I don't look at people like, um, whether it was Rio Ferdinand or John Terry or, or Wayne Rooney or whoever and kind of go, yeah, that's, that's the sort of player that I really, you know, I would, if they were in my team, he might get really excited about them, um, and and there's a possibility that a couple more of those will be coming through, and it'll be it'll be easier for me to get kind of really back into England.
1: Is there anyone particularly from Tottenham that you're a, a big fan of? If there's one player from ourselves that you would you would want and, and take to Southampton, who would who would that be?
3: Uh, you mean apart from DeAndre Yedlin?
1: <laughs> um, he'll, he'll boost your shirt sales. He'll give you a good commercial value. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm being it's a it. bit harsh, but you know, if you, if you...
3: no, 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 you well. Actually, in uh, DeAndre Yedlin is is my starting right back in my current Bristol City save, and and I sell a ridiculous number of shirts in America. Purely because of him. Um, So this is actually true. Tell you what,
1: if a football manager says it, then our our cynicism is is found in in perfect uh, footing. But um, (laughs) uh, who would you pick?
3: I'd I'd take Bentaleb, absolutely. Um, And I would take him as a replacement for Schneidlin, who I assume will be leaving in the summer. And I think Bentaleb alongside Wanyama uh, as as a kind of midfield axis would be absolutely awesome. Um, I think they're a similar age. I think Wanyama's only uh, 23, possibly, although he does look a little bit older. Um, and I do, you'll know how... Old he's best 20, is, but I like... think, 20. He's, uh, he's right. very young. You know, he's, um,
1: uh, he's one of the youngest in our team.
3: Yeah, um, so I, I I like him. I am, weirdly, actually quite a fan of Kapue as well. For, um, from
1: what evidence... I, <laughs>
3: <laughs> from from pre uh, pre Tottenham evidence, um, I he's I don't know. I I've always had a bit of a thing for those sort of very strong dynamic French midfielders, I, I can't really you well, you're, it, you're yeah. more
1: than welcome to Etienne Capoue if you'd, if you'd want him. Yeah, I, why not?
3: He's versatile as well. The he only thing he's, he's
1: done of note recently is dye his hair red and play for the R <laughs> under 21. So, you know, he's it, it, while you're there, you can have Bongani Kamalo as well if you'd fancy or... Kabul, Adivyor, any of these names interest you I, all? You can take the entire cabal of of the, the troublemakers at our, our squad if you want to know. Together they may conspire to cause as much trouble in this short time period as, as Pablo Osvaldo if they can.
3: Oh, God, he was a nightmare, wasn't he? Um, he dresses the he other dresses one really well, though, <laughs>
1: isn't he? he
3: he's, he's sort of a, um, a more Mediterranean Lord Bentner, isn't he? He's he's got that same sort of suave approach um, to mayhem and and moments of footballing genius. Yeah, that you know, chip not that he scored is
1: still probably worth again.
3: Yeah. yeah, that's the the Man City one. Yeah, um, I'd also take Eric Dyer from yours, by the way, because um, I think he could be really really good. It's
1: interesting you've you've not mentioned the headline act such as Larice or Ericsson or or even. Kane are those not players that have... oh well i no i think I think
3: taking Kane kind of goes without saying I think any <laughs> Premier league team would would take Harry Kane if they had the opportunity um i I guess the honest answer to that is I'm looking at where where my squad as a Southampton fan might benefit and and where we might have weaknesses, and I do think Schneiderlin will get sold um I don't think we need. An attacking midfielder or creative midfielder in the same way, because I think Ward Prowse is going to be outstanding next season. Um, and Fraser Forster has been very, very good. Um, I do like Loris. I think he's an ex- excellent keeper, but I don't. I don't think he's someone that we'd necessarily. I don't think he'd be an enormous step up from Fraser Forster, to be honest. Um, and he's a different style of goalkeeper as well. I think that's quite important. Um, and, and he's, you know, he our back four with Forster behind them looked extraordinarily settled and comfortable. Um, so, so changing that up, I don't think would be that necessary. Dyer, I like because he can play as a right back or I think he will be a very good centre-half. You say um, he can
1: play as a right back. Uh, having haven't seen him there. He, he can physically play at right back.
3: <laughs> he can stand in the right place. Mostly, no. I, I, I think, you know, he's he's not been used a great deal, and and I think he's he's definitely one for the future. But I do think he could be really really, really good, um, and I think he will become that sort of quite elegant um, ball playing centre half in due course. Um, that that you might do well to have. I don't know who you'll play alongside him, um, Kiriches gets really, really good in Football Manager. But I don't... I'm yet to be convinced of that in real life. You
1: see, I have this weird, really, really strange, uh, somewhat unfounded like of Kirrakesh. Because he, when he first came to the club, um, there is that weird stat that we didn't concede for however many minutes he was on the pitch for his first few games. I don't really buy into that too much. I think that was more convenient. But... He was very confident. He he. Although he's not very good in the air, he's on, on the floor. He he used to maraud up the field in a in a very mm. positive manner. His his ball playing's fantastic. He can strike it. He can score with a header. He was just a, a picture of he. You know, he was taking his chance with both hands. However, after a few injuries, after a bit of a, a the odd mistake here and there, post injury, he's he's not looked as confident he's not recovered from it as well as he'd hoped to because he's fallen out of the side and he he's often played out of position when he comes back into the side he's he's sort of been made into this joke figure at the club where people don't think he can play whatsoever he's he you know he's he's a figure of fun now where as before he was he's perhaps one of our biggest Prospects at centre back the the prospect of having both him and Vertonghen at centre back was almost like having two extra midfielders, but um, mm. but that seems to have tailed away, which is rather unfortunate because I think he he could be in the right circumstances, fantastic. There has been several attempts by Roma, I believe, over several windows to lure him in, and I imagine this summer, given the the rate of, of change within the squad, I imagine Pochettino and and the other bloke we robbed from you, um, Paul Mitchell, uh, with his black box, um, will will want to change. Um so he could well go there, and I imagine he'll be fantastic in that league, given his pace and the lack of it in Serie A, Even though I, I do very much enjoy watching it, but while I, while I, while I remember to mention Mitchell, can you can you shed any light on what Paul Mitchell does, what his black box is, what he's actually going to be able to bring to the club because he's he's been advertised now by Levy uh, quite publicly as um, as being one of the. The head people in our recruitment process, which is something that we've um, we've been very hot and cold on at our club.
3: Mm, it's it's just a sort of greater degree of, of analytical input um in terms of, of what sort of players you're looking for to fit in with a style, um, whether that's to do with, with possession or how much you run or you know, it it's it's really advanced. Announcements on the sort of thing that I suppose Wenger was maybe the first person to bring to uh, to English football, um, and then people like Alan Dyson, Owen Coyle started to get excited about that. That you you have a a tactical setup in mind, and then you actually go out and find players that whose statistics suggest that they would dovetail neatly into that, um, and not quite a moneyball approach. Um, because actually the point of Moneyball is about market value rather than statistics. But um, it'll be interesting to see if it works. I mean, I, I think there's still... I think there's a lot to be said for statistical recruitment in football, but I also think that that ultimately um, managers have to be convinced that, that that's a player that they like. And so, you know, maybe presenting a series of options to a manager and then they pick and and it may be that that there's actually one who's not on the list but the manager really likes them anyway that's still going to be the way that it works i would be very surprised if if any club certainly in the next few years goes to a point where where all recruitment is done via that sort of method because ultimately a manager still got to want to work with a player and still believe that that player can bring what the manager wants to the the team and and i don't I don't think that you can sell the idea of that being a purely statistical um, or something that can be that can be uh, uncovered purely through statistics. I, managers aren't going to buy that. Even someone as modern and forward thinking as Pochettino won't buy that.
1: OK, Um just to finish off, then, if I if I ask you for a, a score prediction for the weekend, how do you think um, it's going to go? You've already said you think you're going to win, but, but but by what margin?
3: Well, we've not been scoring a lot recently, um, <clears throat> so I think I think it would be I think it'll be a one nil or a two one at most, um, probably a one nil.
1: Have you got any players that haven't scored for a while that? have a of a duck to brick because we are the side to do that against. <laughs> um
3: well, Wanyama's not scored in ages. Um so yeah maybe. There you are. Um, if you
1: are a betting man put it down on a one nil Wanyama win. Um and that would
3: Or Funt actually what what are you like from set pieces?
1: Uh, terrible in every sense.
3: Oh brilliant then I, I would probably stick a quid on Jose Funt scoring. Okay. In fact I probably will do. Yeah, just just now. Yeah, Why now not?
1: you've said it, the, the added level of hoodoo is, is there. Um so I imagine yeah, it yeah. will happen now. Um but but Alex, thank you very much for, for coming on the show. Uh, you're more than welcome mm-hmm. back on anytime.
3: No, thank you very much. For, it's 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 really nice to um to, to be on, on a different kind of pod and talk about things from a slightly different angle. And I know you've got a couple of other people that regularly appear on here who I, I have a huge amount of respect for. So, um, no, it's nice to be in such august company.
1: Such as? Who Who do you like? I know you're not talking about Sam Tai or myself or, <laughs> or Seb either. I, I, I,
3: no, I think Seb's really good. We, I think we, Seb's we one don't one. let him
1: know about that, to be honest.
3: Well, uh, okay, fair. But no, I, I think Seb consistently produces some of the best... Um, stuff uh that's actually around so that would be who i was meaning
1: yeah. i would i would uh i would finish that sentence uh seb consistently produces um <laughs> <laughs> but uh I, I joke he is absolutely fantastic but um again thank you very much alex we'll, we'll speak to you again at, at another time and i hope you're, you're wrong about the scoreline this weekend obviously mm.
3: yeah we'll see we'll see
1: Thank you very much to the uh, the absolutely lovely Alex Stewart for that. It um, was as a, a player to speak to him as always. But um, if we discuss Southampton amongst us, obviously you two haven't heard that interview yet, so you're not entirely sure of what we discussed. obviously it was just the the usual Pochettino, Ronald Koeman type of thing, um, and sort of what they expect from the season and, and everything like that. But how how have you? rated Southampton this year. Jack, were you one of the people that thought they'd perhaps fall out of the league given that they lost their manager and seemingly all their best players um, at the start of the year?
2: I did, yeah. At the start of the season I was fully expecting them to be one of the team's battling relegation at the end of the year. Um, Not so much because you know, they'd... they'd, uh, lost all... I know there is that argument, you know, they've lost all their top players so on and so forth, so that is a a good reason to say that a team's going to struggle. But it's just more the kind of like the uncertainty that at least the media portrayed there was around the club at the time. Um, It felt like there were really deep-rooted issues there um, that would have caused a a, a lot of problems. Um, And also kind of getting in a new manager that you're kind of unsure about like They could have quite easily gone down that route of bringing in someone like Mark, Mark Hughes or a Pew or someone like that that they knew would probably keep them in the league. But they didn't. They they went out on the limb, they took the risk, they got Kerman in, who's done an admirable job. Um, I did see an interesting an interesting little discussion today on my timeline. I think it was between James Moore and Daniel Storey. Is it? I don't know. They were talking about uh, essentially the, the fact that James was saying he felt that Pochettino is still responsible for the bedrock of that team, which is uh, Schneiderlin and Banyama, really. Um, because I think Daniel was making the point that their defence Although so they they sold apparently all their best defenders in the in the summer, they've still conceded. I think it's ten less goals at this point that they had last year. Um, but they seem to attribute that to the midfield pairing that they have, which is something that could probably be thrown Spurs's direction. And the fact that we don't really seem to have much of a, a shield in front of our centre backs, But um, like, I like I don't know. I don't like Southampton <laughs> so I hope we finish
1: above them. Um, what about yourself, Seb? You, you usually don't waste any time in brown in Southampton. You seem to have a bit of a soft spot for them, a weird, wanky love for them. Um, how do you feel about them, Arthur? So, I suppose you want them to win this week, don't you? You want them to finish as high as possible.
0: No, well, no, no, not at our expense, but what, I, what, what I've enjoyed about it more than anything is that um, I found out somewhere before at the end of last year that if you remember this time, maybe 12, 14 months ago, there, a lot of, there were a lot of shouty pieces written in the press by the usual suspect about Dreamrecker you know, dream wrecking, you know, all, all aimed at Catherine Lieber. Um, and then questioning Ralph Kruger when he came in because his background was in ice hockey and because he was a Canadian. And who had that kind of very xenophobic, misogynic tone to it. Um, and I found out that actually a lot of this was because um, there are a lot of journalists in this country who were firmly, who were firmly in um, the um previous managing director's pocket. And so it was a, sort of a constructed animosity. And anytime time that happened, and any time that group of people is left looking foolish, that's something I enjoy. Um, and also, you know, a lot of action for human um, human has this season. I, I take the banner story point about him, him building a lot of know work, but at the same time, his possession of that side is greatly improved on, uh, uh, from from where it was this time last year. And I think for managers to come in. Balance so many parts to make something cohesive within the spaces. Let's say six preseason weeks because they were instantly good. They haven't they haven't become better as the season has gone on. Has gone on. They had um, they lost to Anfield on the opening day, um, and then they went on, I think an eight or nine game unbeaten until we beat them. Um, and I just think that's 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 it's it's a real mark of a good manager and a. Uh, no testament to, to the coaching work that's been done at Southampton by Komen's team. Um, and the point about the defence is that, yes, they, they, they've retained and they've retained Font and Yoshida, but if you look at the improvement in someone like Maya Yoshida uh, and you see what a difference he is, well, how different he is from the defender who first kind of jumped into the Premier League and looked incredibly frail um, to what he is now, I think that's the director of the to and also, he, he's made Ryan Bertrand look like a player, which is quite a task in my opinion. He looked for a long time like someone who was only considered to be hearty because he happened to be wearing a Chelsea shirt uh, at the beginning of the they, um, Yeah, Man for Man has been a lot of improvement with that team, and it's just like seeing a team who aren't Chelsea, humanity, Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool, doing well and kind of bucking that trend of as soon as a club comes in, nicks all your players, or a series of clubs comes in, nicks all your players, then you must inevitably fall back into the pack, down the division, or possibly get relegated. I've enjoyed seeing someone rage against that. It's been fun.
1: Right, well... Seb seems to like Southampton for every bit the Jack hates them, so there's there's that much. But um, one question that keeps cropping up, even from the uh, the people who are sending us questions on Twitter and whatnot, and especially from that podcast I've just done with Si um, from NSNO, is um, Aaron Lennon at the club. He's he's been linked to perhaps a six to eight million pound move, um, permanently making that move per, um, to to Everton. Um, no matter how many times he smiles in their photos, and. The opposite to that is is probably Eric Lamella who has you know, his his performance at the weekend we didn't really touch on earlier. So if you if you want to evaluate those two and compare them, is, is perhaps Lennon now that he's rejuvenated somewhere else for a short while, is he gonna come back and reinvigorate our right wing? Is is Lamella the one we should persevere with? Is he going to come good now that he's had a a bit more of a, an effort in the league this year. Is he is he going to have that second season next year and be able to kick on? Um, in in sort of a, a weird term, because obviously we disregard that that strange first year where nothing really happened for the poor lad. Um, but Seb, if we start with you, um, how how do you find the whole Lennon Lamella um, situation?
0: Well, I'm not sure I believe that much in the rejuvenation of Aaron Lennon necessarily. I think that the um, I've seen a couple of the games that he's had for Everton, and he's he has that sort of sparkiness that you'd expect from a player who's just joined a new club. And he has a little bit of enthusiasm for the game. I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that that would translate back to Tottenham. I mean, he he scored a couple of goals and he's he's played quite well in patches, but there's been nothing new from him. I mean, the, the same old frustrations still exist, and the, the 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 same shortcomings are still in his game, um, and also on the basis that Pochettino was willing to let him go in January, I can't see that come the summer with an influx of new players that anything is going to change and that suddenly he's going to be seen as, a, as, a, um, as an essential component again. is um, Lame- a different case. I think he's, um, he's certainly a more three-dimensional player than Aaron Lennon and we clearly haven't seen the best of him yet. He played, I mean, his first half on, on Sunday was, was really poor. Um, but he did improve after the second half, and he he sort of started to find a little bit of confidence. I thought. I think maybe one of the problems with him is possibly that at the beginning of matches he he tries to be a little bit too low percentage right from the beginning. He'll and at the moment he gets the ball from a minute one, he's trying to take a player on and. When he loses possession, it seems to become a kind of an internal issue for him, and for him, and and you you can see his confidence dropping and dropping, and his shoulders sagging a little bit. And he'll still work hard, but what he does on the ball, just you know, we've seen this a couple of times. It just seems to get worse and worse. Um, It seems to take him the whole of the first half to get that out of his system uh, on Sunday. So maybe the key with him is just to. Just to simplify a little bit, and, and to make sure he picks his moments as to when when to be to be a bit more expressive and to be a bit more low percentage. Um,
2: so may, maybe that's the way forward with him. It's a really interesting point you make, actually, mate. Because if you look at a lot of people's concerns over Lamella and a lot of their frustration, it's not totally unfounded. He he is quite in it, he is quite a frustrating player at times. Um, but I think where a lot of the criticism goes goes astray essentially is when people start saying he's shit you know he's no good he's a waste of money uh, it seems to me that a lot of the problems are kind of like minor things which can be worked out so be it his first touch or under hitting passes that kind of thing which to me as you say just comes more as a product of him being underconfident and him perhaps you know lacking that kind of self assurance so you you get Get after having a consistent run in the team when you start scoring a few goals. I mean, one of the one of the things that fills me with confidence about the player though is that he always seems to be working hard. And I know that's a stick to beat with, but he still is working hard. He's not letting this get on top of him in that respect, at least. And he's always in a decent position. He seems to still have that vision, that awareness, um, and, and just that kind of astute attacking mindset whereby he can spot the runs of other players... And he can himself get into dangerous areas and pull defenders the other way. I mean, one of the things you see about Townsend is it's his dynamic approach that tends to stretch the defence, right? He has the pace and he has the type of impact that Lennon is having at Everton at the moment, whereby he just, he runs and that that worries defenders. But if they set up in the right way, they can deal with that. Whereas Lamella seems to be a much more adaptive player. He can, he can find that space and he can change his game up. And I just, I think there's a conversation on Twitter earlier where, This this lad was saying to me, you know, he is a frustrating player, but there's enough there. And I said that if we maybe got offered upwards of £20 million for him, I would maybe be quite tempted to take it. But then the guy said on the flip side, if someone's offering you £20 million plus for a player, doesn't that tell you that he's a great option to have around the squad anyway? So it's an interesting argument to have, but you know, I'm always going to beat the John Lamella. I think he's a, I think he's a great player and he's very talented. So why get rid? Why the rush? There's, n- there's no rush at all. We're not going to get the money back that we paid for him. So pointless exercise.
1: That's an interesting comparison between the two. I'm, I'm not sure whether or not you know Lamella will come good. I hope he does. Uh, Lennon, obviously, he, he will go, um, and I wish him all the best when he does, because uh, I will always have a, a soft spot for him. But um, if we, if we stand it on a, on a positive note Jack we've, we've not really got that much any other business to talk about the, the one point I would make is um, we tweeted earlier about the Super League Dream Team uh, we, we made a, a league for our listeners um, so if you do think you have what it takes to beat any of us especially me because I'm really the challenge there um, then, then feel free that the, um, <laughs> the the details are all on our Twitter account but Jack um, previous uh, guest on the show and uh, listener loyal listener since the very beginning I believe uh, Blair Dunlop you actually took your your lass and you, you went and seen him uh singing and playing live how was that
2: yeah that's right blair invited me down to his gig in shepherd's bush i was nicely tanked up on soul which is a beer obviously i uh but i did get in trouble for drinking the aforementioned on social media but yeah no i went down to bush hall um in shepherd's bush it was a lovely little gig it's a very talented lad. He's got a very good stage presence good good bands. um he had the audience wrapped around his finger, and it was lovely to meet him and have a little little chat afterwards. He is he's he's touring at the moment. I know it's a it's it's not just a shameless plug. Um, it is a it, 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 he genuinely is a, a really good bloke and a really really talented lad. Um, so a massive Spurs fan, obviously, and that's that's all that matters really. Um, so he is on tour at the moment. He's he's got a gig coming up in Manchester on the 22nd. Um, he's going to be in New York on the 25th. Um, and a couple of other things. Go to BlairDunlop.com. Um So if anyone does want to go and watch him play, if you like a bit of folk, you like a bit of like Ray LaMontagne, perchance, that kind of folky, bluesy, acoustic stuff, you should check out Blair because um, he's a really nice bloke. Um, even though he does kind of like Fiorentina as well, which we let him off the hook for, but we probably shouldn't. Um, Yeah, that's about it, because we are having an absolute nightmare with Skype tonight, so we're going to kill this one with fire, I'm afraid, lads. Um, So if you do want to listen to any of the previous episodes of Rule the Roost podcast, you can do so on iTunes or on the Spurs Statman website, which is at SpursStatman.com. You can also follow the boss man JP at Spurs Statman. And be sure to send in all of your articles. If you're a budding Tottenham writer, you've got something on your mind that you want to get off your chest, you don't like Pochettino, you do like Pochettino, we were wrong to sack Sherwood, so on and so forth. If you can justify it, if you can put it down coherently, which I struggle to do in audible fashion every week on this podcast, but... Do as I say, not as I do. Um, then send us in any articles to Steve Jennings. You can find him on Twitter at SteveGen93. Um, you can follow our Rule the Roost account at RTRSSM. Um, yeah, that's all for this week. Thanks very much for listening. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>